0: Purple Elephant shower thought of the day. Why do we cook bacon and bake cookies? This is Purple Elephant Radio, where we hear about storytelling, originality, and creativity from the creators who are actually making something matter. I'm your host, Sean Green. This summer, I've been working on a big project, a book, a book for creatives, for artists, for content creators. This book is called The Purple Elephant Artist, art and essays for creatives. With the help of some wonderful people, Sveta Wunnenberg, uh, Jada Bennett, and Olivia Childs, we have made something awesome. You know, I think there are an abundance of online courses and books that revolve around teaching specific skills whether it's marketing tactics or actual techniques when it comes to creative mediums. But what I think is underrated is the mindset behind creativity, the psychology, the philosophy, the why of why we create. So really what this whole book is revolving around is what are the mindset shifts you need to make? What are the questions you need to ask yourself? The questions only you can answer your original work without feeling like you have to mimic someone. My whole intention for this thing is to prove to you that you are capable of creating, of being creative, and I hope that it will inspire you to create your own brand, your own art, your own stories. So please check the link in the description, go on Amazon, either pre-order or order that book depending on when you're hearing this, and I promise you it will be worth your while. Part three of the... Fun little bonus material, bonus content for the Purple Elephant Artist, the book I'm releasing, soon, by the time this is out, it will have been released. And part three is about create. Not creating, but create for the first time. To shift from consumer to creator. To go from zero to one. What this section boils down to, essentially any limiting beliefs that might have kept me from creating as a a writer or a performer. I kind of inspected all my beliefs and essentially wrote away the doubt. So this whole section is an attempt to persuade you that you are able to create, that you have something worth sharing because I think I'm proof that, you know, the person who thinks they have no stories to tell, who thinks they have no unique point of view, if I can get around that for myself, knowing where I came from, then I would say you can do the same. To start this episode off, I want to talk about the major myth of creating, not even about creativity, but just the act of creating something from nothing. And that is the myth of writer's block, which is embodied by all artists. Some call it you know, artist block, creator's block, a creative block. But I know it, you know it. Most of us have probably experienced it, or at least thought we've experienced it, as writer's block. And I'm here to tell you, I'm here to make the argument that writer's block is a myth. And writer's block was never something that I gave much thought to. I acknowledged its existence and went about my day. And it wasn't until I came across Seth Godin, who's really a big proponent for this idea that writer's block is a myth. It wasn't until I came across him that I realize that maybe there's some truth to that. That maybe I've been giving myself the excuse of writer's block. And since then, I, I've taken that idea and ran with it. And I'm going to do my best to make the argument that writer's block is a myth for everybody. First things first, where did you first experience writer's block or hear about the term? My guess is if you're like most people, it began in your education, maybe in elementary school, fifth grade, maybe middle school, you're writing you know, longer stuff for the first time in your life. But more often than not, writer's block probably showed up when it came to writing something you weren't that interested in. Something related to education, you know, a book report that maybe a, a book you didn't want to read. And because we created this reference that writer's block is true. We felt it for something we clearly weren't passionate in, but we took that idea and and essentially believed it in every aspect of what we create. But I am here to argue that writer's block, that creators' block, is nothing more than a lack of confidence. That's it. The only reason, and and I truly believe that everyone has something to write even if it's not the best even if it's awful <laughs> everyone could write the same way anyone can talk if you're told to keep talking i've heard it said that why don't we have talker's block why doesn't the carpenter have a uh, building block artists seem to be the rare exception where um, they've been given the excuse as an option as a way out and i think the problem the, the fear of conceding and saying writer's block is a myth. The reason I think people are hesitant to say that is because it demystifies creativity. And I think there's a reasonableness to that, to not wanting to destroy the, the mystery. If we say, you know, I can write no matter what and I will put any idea down on paper, then on some level, I think we deny what the point of art is because for the majority of people who aren't going to live their entire lives pursuing a, a career in something creative i think for them it's okay to treat their creativity like an amateur and you know only decide to create when they feel like it i will get deeper into the professional versus amateur mindset shortly but i think it, the acceptance of writer's block is in many ways, an amateur mindset. And maybe that stirs something in you. Maybe that um, irritates you a little bit. And I I would wonder why. Here's what I'll say about writer's block though. There's a difference between not being able to write a single word or get something together no matter what you try, no matter what idea you you dive down. There's that and not being able to work on one idea. Maybe you don't have the Maybe you don't know where to go with one story, but I'd argue that's not writer's block. That's a denial of trying something new, something that has traction. And this coincides with another idea that I write about in this section, which is about leaving the zombies be. Your zombie ideas are the things that make you believe writer's block is true, that creative blocks exist because you put in so much effort into them you put so much thinking power into them you try so hard you want them to work you want them you want to publish the the article you want to write the book with this plot and for some reason or another either you don't have the not you don't have enough research you don't have enough experience you don't have a fully developed understanding of how the the plot will end whatever the case may be it's those zombie ideas that are the problem Not our mind, not um, our ability to reason and and create stories. It's that single idea that gives us the reference to think that we're all blocked up, that we're not as creative as we once believed. And that is why I say leave the zombies be. And what that looks like on a day-to-day level is when I write a, a blog post every morning. Sometimes I'll start five or six. I'll get one sentence in and it'll fizzle out. Sometimes I'll even you know get a few paragraphs in and just realize I'm rambling, but there is no cohesion. There's no point to this. And instead of saying, "Oh, I have writer's block for today," I find another idea. I keep going, I keep reiterating. I keep going completely different directions. And because of that, because I leave the zombies be, sometimes what happens, occasionally, I'll you know, have one idea and I'll you know, leave it alone because I just don't have enough to speak on the topic at the time. And a few days later, I'll come across something in a book, in a podcast that I'll catch my ear and I'll realize that relates to what I was trying to say. And I'm able to complete the thought. But it's not a do this, then that. It's random. It's on some level luck. That I had the idea half prepared, but it wasn't until I gave it up, essentially, that I was able to find out the answer. And this brings us to an important topic in the world of creating. And keep in mind, I'm mainly talking for the writer, but... This will apply to any artistic medium, but I want to talk about mediocre ideas and bad ideas, cliche ideas, crappy, copied, cheap ideas. I know we have a wealth of those. We all do. You can't tell me you're blocked on crappy ideas because we all have bad ideas. Ideas that make a horrible story, but it would make a complete story. What I said earlier about writer's block being related to confidence, I mean that it's these bad ideas, these mediocre ideas that we don't have the confidence to share. And I would level with you and say, yeah, maybe don't share all your bad ideas. However, I would argue that the idea that you think is bad in your head, that will never ever be the idea that gets published. To begin working, taking action on a bad idea or mediocre one will often lead to subtle improvements and it's only when we can allow ourselves to have the confidence to start on our mediocre ideas that we allow the good ideas to become great ones that we allow our caterpillar ideas to become butterflies and the reason this works and i said this with the leave the zombies be of of giving your ideas that just don't have enough traction giving them some breathing room The reason that works is because of something called the reticular activating system, the RAS. The RAS is the thing that lets you hear your name in a loud, crowded party. The RAS is the thing that allows you to spot uh, another car with the same make and model as you on the road. It's the stuff we don't realize we're trying to find. The RAS is a filtering system. And if we're not actively controlling what we're filtering. And the way we actively filter something is by taking action on, you know, what we want moving in the direction that we're looking to go. If we don't choose that, then our RAS will be used out of our control. This will probably show up as fear-based filtering. You know, what's going wrong in the world? What on the news should I be scared about? So in the act of creating, in the act of typing of hitting record on a camera, we've already set in motion the right method, the right means to use our RAS. Even starting on your worst ideas, the stories that are nothing more than maybe a, uh, a sentence in your notes app. By working on those, you're, you're controlling the filtering of your RAS. But again, this is a confidence issue. What I'm speaking on, writer's block is a lack of confidence. It's an esteem issue. It's the thought that my ideas aren't as good as the rest of the world. And I think in this social media world where the best are curated to the top and, and every niche has been established and has communities and creators already in it. I think we're already at a disadvantage for confidence right from the get-go before we even begin creating. Our confidence is probably rock bottom. And this this is what I sought out to to essentially get rid of that thought for myself. How do I go against my my own better judgment that says you shouldn't create. You can't contribute to any community you're, you know, you're still you're too young. You, you don't know enough. You're not qualified to talk on anything. So you might as well sit down, shut up, and just let the world pass you by. That was on some level my belief before I began all this purple elephant stuff. And with that, I'd like to introduce the paradox of growth, which is in order to get better at something, in order to even become decent at something, you have to be willing have the confidence have the withstanding of the pain of being horrible at something of being untalented unskilled not that great that is ultimately what's required if you want to become the the artist the the creative you have to be okay being bad at something my first interview with this podcast probably not that great i haven't listened back to it in a long time my first time doing stand up i know that was God awful. And I have a video of that, so I know how bad it is. You have to accept being bad in order to get better. There's a quote I love, and I, I'm i not exactly sure who it's from, but it goes, you have to jump off the cliff and sprout wings on the way down. In the world of creativity, that that is so true. We have to jump before we're ready, jump in to making YouTube videos, Jump into creating podcasts, creating posts on Instagram before we're ready. Because the one benefit of all this abundance of creativity online is the the fact that with so much abundance, your crappy work isn't going to get attention. So you might as well keep creating nonstop, nonstop iterations because all your crappy stuff, no one's going to care about. No one's going to notice. All it does is Two things. By sharing your crappy work, you put yourself on the hook. Even if you only have parents looking at it or, you know, a few friends. By putting yourself on the hook, that's a great start. Because it makes it much harder to give up. And the upside is, you know, strangers aren't going to look at it, acknowledge it, until you get to a, a level where you're competent. So to me, that's a, a win win. Of why not keep creating, keep trying? Because no one's gonna notice the the crappy attempts, the failed attempts. Why not keep going? So this whole idea of, you know, creative confidence boils down to a little bit of courage and a lot of decisiveness. Decisiveness on multiple levels. Cuz courage, we know what courage is. It's just acting with a little bit of fear in your chest. But decisiveness, I think that's that's underrated in the area of confidence. Especially what I'm talking about here with creating Decisiveness sounds like, I don't know exactly what makes me different, but I'm going to figure it out as I create. Decisiveness says, I'm going to write for 30 days, no matter what, even if I feel like I have nothing to write about, even if it shows up as one sentence. Decisiveness says, I'm going to keep iterating until I get the audience that I want, until I get to the level that I want, even if I completely have to rebrand multiple, multiple times. Decisiveness says, I'm going to figure it out. Once I commit to this, once I have the confidence that I have something to say, which we all do, then decisiveness says, I'm not gonna stop until someone hears me, until I figure it out for myself, until I clarify my own thoughts. (coughs) Play your hand too fast. The ideas that you've been saving in your back pocket, Tell everyone about them. The story, the, the novel you were going to work on when you're 60 and retired, start working on that now. Play your hands too fast. If all your good ideas, all your unique perspectives are the hand you get in, say, something like a game of poker, you don't need to bluff. Show everyone your cards all the time. And the reason for that is we're always making new cards. Ideas are abundant. That's, that was the biggest curve for me when I started creating is realizing that anyone who has good ideas. Well, first of all, it was realizing that ideas without action are nothing. And second of all, everyone has good ideas. Everyone theoretically has an invention. Everyone theoretically has a idea for a, a novel. We all have ideas. You're not unique because of your ideas. You're unique when you act on them, when you take initiative, when you give yourself deadlines. That's the difference between the amateur and the professional. The amateur says, I'll make art when I feel like it, when inspiration strikes, which is on the same level of mythology as writer's block. But that's the amateur mindset. The professional says, I've got a deadline. Something's coming out. Something will be written down. Something will show up on that page. And so I'll give you the same advice that changed my life, which was write a blog for 30 days. And a blog that's not about your you know, reflections about, oh, what did I eat today? How did I feel? That's a journal and there's nothing wrong with that. But a blog that's focused on the ideas in your head, the good ideas and the bad ones. Your inventions to change the world and your reflections on your own limiting beliefs, something designed for an audience so and I talked about this in the consume episode, but by creating a a blog or you know a podcast about something that isn't your main means of expressing creativity, but maybe it's just something you're curious about. maybe you maybe you do a blog where you just review books that you've read or podcasts you've heard by doing that. You improve your skills of you know speaking and articulation you also create this reference of confidence well you don't put so much pressure on yourself to say you know i have to create an original story but say you know what every day i have to reflect on something so maybe i'll just talk about my opinions of a book and maybe that wouldn't become a you know script for a, a movie or a you know the main plot for a novel you know, the 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 main means of creative expression that we think of, by at least doing those little reflections and, and practicing sharing them, because it is a practice, you improve your creative confidence. And on that same note of improving your creative confidence, because that's really what this whole part is about. When it comes to creating, it's a confidence issue. It's not a creativity issue. A big thing that I've realized is get away from the contests and the the festival submissions for a while, create on your own terms, create on your own platform where no one's going to tell you, you know, sorry, it wasn't good enough. Get away from all that for a while. And in the book I give the example of imagine it like a farm where your plot of land is either your Instagram or your website, stuff that you have control over. And, you know, let's say you grow pumpkins. Well, There's two ways to win a best pumpkin contest. The first way is to only grow one pumpkin and to spend all your time on it. Even though, you know, you have acres and acres of land, just focus on one pumpkin. Make it the best pumpkin you can make it. And what might end up happening is you wheel it, you wheel that big pumpkin over to the festival and get eighth place. And so you can't help but think you're not worthy of being a farmer. Your pumpkin sucks. You should just give up and that's how i think many artists think but if we really thought about it of how would a farmer think about it well that farmer would use every inch of land they had and maybe some pumpkins would be big some would be square some would be wonky some would be oval shaped some would have bumps some would have some would be smooth some would be misshapen some would be perfectly shapen, and maybe one of those is the biggest pumpkin Maybe one of those pumpkins would win you a festival, but at that point, it doesn't matter. When you have confidence in your ability to farm pumpkins, it doesn't matter if you win the festival or not. So what I mean with that idea of you know stay away from the festivals for a while, there's nothing wrong with submitting one of your short films. As long as you realize that the outcome of that is irrelevant to your ability to create, to make a brand, to work on a deadline, it's a very side thing. And I think college students, you know, I feel sometimes I feel this pressure of if it didn't win a festival, it wasn't good. If I submitted a a story to a magazine and it didn't get in, it's not good. And that idea of treating my creativity the way a farmer treats their land, treats the the plants they grow has really helped me. I want to come back to the first time I did stand-up comedy because it's very different than the nerves and self-doubt that come about when I'm writing. When I'm making a blog or a a short story, extremely different. And I think we can learn a lot from, you know, how I got over my stage fright and performance anxiety. And we can take those lessons to any creative medium. Stand-up comedy and, you know, any performing medium, but I think stand-up comedy especially, is the most – you get feedback immediately. And because of that, it may be the most intimidating you cannot ignore it when someone doesn't laugh. You can't help but feel that, especially when it's your first time. And as a person who in high school had felt that uh, easily blushed, easily felt embarrassed, that was stand-up comedy to me was the peak of fears. It was my um, performance Mount Everest and because it was that, you know, it, ha- it held that significance That was a main reason that I wanted to strive for it was because it was, you know, a a mountain I had to climb and something I could say I did. But the truth is, if I didn't take steps before I got on that stage, you know, a a two-month spurt where I completely changed my mindset, if it weren't for that, I would not have gotten up on the stage. You know, I would have skipped the day I signed up to perform and probably never would have talked about it again. So what did I do in those two months of essentially preparation from the time I signed up to the time I got on stage and did my first set? What happened? I changed my identity. Here are a couple things I did. Read a Steve Martin book, his autobiography, where he talked about, you know, the good and the bad of stand up. I talked to a uh, acquaintance in school who had done it before and asked him about his experience and how he actually signed up. Then i started writing out jokes i started calling a a friend and asking him to give me feedback and all these little steps weren't hard i mean sure when i was telling jokes to just one friend maybe it was a little cringy but ultimately all those little steps were simple not intimidating stuff that i could do and because i did those little steps those little not so scary steps over time over the span of a, a month or two i changed my identity to see myself as a stand-up comedian, as someone who cares about it and is going to do it. And so when I rolled up that, that night that I did my first set and you know I, I felt all the cliche M&M stuff of um, knees weak, arms heavy, I felt all that. But here was the difference. Here's what, was, here's what had changed. I saw myself as a stand-up comedian. Even though I felt all that fear. And stand up comedians walk on a stage and tell jokes. It's what they do, whether they're fearful or not. And I think to bring that to any other medium, ask yourself if there is a thing you're intimidated by. And it may not be as immediately, you know, it may not be immediate visceral anxiety like with stand up. But let's say, for example, you've always had a dream of writing a novel. But, you know, it it seems such a daunting goal. What are the immediate, not so intimidating steps you could take to change your identity, to see yourself as maybe you were a writer, but now you become an author? Just speaking off the the top of my head, a couple ideas. Read a couple books about how to go about writing a novel, how to chunk it down. And, And, you know, realizing that, yes, a novel is long, but really, if you write the same amount every day. In 100 days you'll have a pretty long book so realizing okay yeah you need to find consistency maybe you need a a writing practice uh, 30 minutes a day before you start working on the book so all these little steps all these little habits that you can establish to change your identity so that when the big moment comes you see yourself as that as that identity the the person who does something you become the author and authors write books that's what they do. So I'll leave I'll leave this episode at that. With identity being the key, the key difference maker between those who are amateurs and those who are professionals in their creative endeavors. Those who make the change they want and those who are always dabblers. Because that will lead nicely into the next two episodes of becoming, becoming the artist, becoming the content creator. Because I think identity is the major difference maker between those who accept writer's block as an inevitability, those who only write when inspiration strikes, and those who have an abundance of creativity. Be like the latter. So I just want to thank you for listening and and wish you the best. I wanted to add one more note in this section that I kind of forgot to talk about. And that is the idea, the the realness, the all-too-realness of Resistance. Now this is different than writer's block because writer's block is an accepted inevitability. But resistance, which often shows up as procrastination, self-doubt, you know, being way too critical, being a perfectionist, that's usually how resistance appears. This is an idea that I heard about in The War of Art by Steven Pressfield. And and I know I talked about this on a, a previous episode, but I just want to bring it to your attention, bring it into your vocabulary. And the reason I want to do that, it's somewhat risky because, you know, when we bring writer's block into our vocabulary, then we accept it as an excuse. But the difference is when I tell you about resistance, resistance is not an excuse. It is an inevitability, but if you use it instead of accepting resistance, then you'll realize that whatever, wherever resistance shows up in your life, wherever you feel the most anxiousness, the the most procrastination, whatever area of your life that shows up. And often I think it's, you know, with creative endeavors, with the big project, the book, the, the movie, wherever you see it, wherever you feel it, wherever you become aware of it, go that direction. Because the juice of life is in following the resistance, not letting it stop you, but realizing that wherever you feel the resistance, That's what you actually want. Everything else will always feel like a hollow victory. This has been Purple Elephant Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next week.